This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Romans 2, 1 through 16. In this passage, Paul describes God's righteous judgment. Together, we discuss God's role as judge and our role as obedient followers of Christ. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week to continue our journey through Romans together. Uh, as a quick reminder, in our episode last week, we looked at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, so basically finished out chapter 1 of Romans. And in this passage, Paul articulates God's initial action and the, the human condition. Together, we discussed the importance of serving and worshiping the Creator. This week, uh, we're going to be entering into chapter 2 of Romans. Uh, specifically, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 16. And in this passage, Paul describes God's righteous judgment. Um, I believe we have Natasha reading for us today. So, Natasha, would you mind reading for us Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 16? Yes. Um, if it's okay, I'd like to go ahead and start a little bit earlier than that, since chapter 2 starts with the statement, you therefore, um, so we can start a little bit before that, remind ourselves of what was kind of a part of Paul's conversation before we enter into today's passage, since it really is a continuation um, of what has been previously said. And sure. I think it'll give us good context going into it. So I'm going to start at Romans chapter 1, verse 28, and then I'll read through 2.16. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You, therefore, have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, 
honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. All right. Thank you for reading that for us, Natasha. Uh, and I think that was a, a good call out, great idea to start back in chapter one to kind of remind us of where we are coming from as we move into this passage. Because, you know, remember, as this letter is being read to the people of Rome, it's not like they go, all right, we're going to take chapter one, verses one through eight. And then, you know, they weren't splitting it up. They were hearing it all together. Um, and so holding it together like that is very important for us to do as we move forward. Um, the other piece that I would also like to put out there is just a reminder of kind of what's going on within the church at Rome in this time. Um, as a result of the uh, expelling of the Jews from Rome and then the subsequent return of those Jews back to Rome, there has been this uh, division that has developed and, and been allowed to expand under that like absence from each other where the, the Gentile Christians have been kind of practicing and, and doing things in one way. And then the Jewish Christians come back to the area and they're challenging the way the Gentile Christians are practicing their faith and um, really causing a problem because they're calling them out saying that they're not following the law that they should be uh, when we're talking about like circumcision and, and um, kosher laws and things like that. And so there, there's this division, this tension that exists between these two parties within the church. And Paul is speaking to, to this people who are divided. Um, and so as we read our passage today, we can begin to see how what he's saying addresses that, among other things. Um, and so... As we move into it, I think it's just important for us to, as we move into our conversation, I think it's important for us to just hold that uh, environment in mind as we move forward through this conversation. And so with that, I think maybe one of the first observations that I have about this passage um, is comes in, um, in verse one. It's at the, the end of verse one, though where it says you who pass judgment do the same things. Um, and this is why I also think it was important for you, Natasha, like you did to read back into chapter one, because it's like, do the, the same things. I think I've, um, I've always thought, well, you like do the same like sinful actions. And I, and I think that's definitely part of it. But if I remember back to our conversation that we were having last week, the, the thing we really landed on was this idea that 
the the sin, the major problem that existed in these people as Paul was outlining it is their decision to like place themselves above God or place themselves in the position of God, like to, to set aside God as, and, and not put him in the place that he deserves to be in. And as a result of not putting God in the place where he deserves to be, life kind of fell apart. And in the same way, Paul is speaking to this other group of people now here in chapter two. And when he says, you who pass judgment do the same things. Like he's not just talking about like the, the immoral activities that the people were behaving in. He's talking about like, you do the very same thing in your action of judging. You are taking God out of the place that he ought to be in and putting yourself in his position instead. Right. Um, and like I even just where you started in verse 28, it says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, like to to leave God in his place. This is what happened. And and you see, like Paul is very clearly speaking and and making a direct line to, you know, just like this is kind of what it looks like for those who are outside that you're looking at, like, don't get hasty here and think that you can just be shouting a hearty amen to what I'm sharing and think, oh, that's their problem. Because just as you are doing that, you are accusing yourself. Right. You're putting yourself in the place where now it's your problem too. Yeah, it's like a continuation of the wrath of God being revealed in in their thinking, or as you pointed out, in their position of placing their self in God's um having almost like they're like they're giving themselves God's authority. Exactly. In in the church, I feel like the temptation is oftentimes to look out at the world and and hold this type of viewpoint where the world is a mess because of their sin, because of their deceit, because of their slander, because of their gossip, because of their immorality. And and that puts us in this place of judge. And I think from talking to most of the people who, who have a better taste in their mouth for the church, which is actually a large majority of the people who don't attend or participate in a church somewhere, um, in speaking with them, you, you begin to kind of see that their view of the church is that, well, those ju- judgmental people. Um, because most of them at one point or another have been in a position where the church has been, has elevated, or a member of the church maybe even, has elevated themselves to this position of God playing judge in their life um, when it, all the while missing, right, what their role should have been in the midst of that discipleship process. Right. It makes me think of the parable of the the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know, thank God I'm not like this tax collector. And that's really what it feels like in this passage. Like, thank God I'm not I'm not a Gentile. Thank mm-hmm. God I was born a Jew. And all the while the tax collector is beating his chest and truly contrite for the condition of his heart. Mm-hmm. And so um and and in that, like that's God is wanting us to help people see, uh, as it says in, in verse four, um, 
where uh, do do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And that's what God is desiring. Not that we look at people and say, "Look how awful you are," but in in looking at people, we see them with God's eyes. We see them the way He sees them that they do have value, regardless of what's going on in their life, they have value. And so instead of trying to uh, live in this life of comparison, like I'm not as bad as this person or this group of people or, or this individual, um, let's, let's look at people differently, like Jesus would. And Paul is doing that for the people of Rome, whether they realize it or not. He's trying, he is fulfilling this, this, desire that God has. I think with this conversation, um, in, in this particular, what, 17 verses, 16 verses, you get the impression that Paul is speaking to like the Jews, but you don't know like a hundred percent for sure. But when you get to verse 17, so a little preview for next week, it actually identifies that it is directed at the Jews. And so with that idea in mind, like, let's think back to uh, who the Jews are. Like, the Jews are are the chosen people of God. Like, if you work throughout the Old Testament, you recognize, like, God has chosen them for a purpose, on purpose. God has given them uh, the Ten Commandments. God has given them, God has given them the Law and the Prophets. Like, these are the the uh the riches and His kindness and His forbearance and His patience. And like, this is what like. As a Jew, I have been, like if I'm in that position, if I'm in that camp, I have been um, kind of blessed with this history, this rich history of, of God's direction and God's like pouring into our life, into our nation. And I also carry with me kind of this mentality that like I am a chosen person. Like I, I am chosen. Um, and so it, Derek, as you were talking about uh, verse four of this chapter, I, I feel like when you, when you bring all those pieces into mind, we, we read the old Testament and we see oftentimes the attitude, the mentality, well, even in the new Testament of like, a the, that, that many of the Jews carried with them was like, we are chosen. And that's like to our benefit, like I'm chosen and I'm awesome kind of a mentality. Like I, I think I'm way oversimplifying, overstating, <laughs> but that's kind of the mentality that I pick up on. But, but Paul right here is saying like, remember your chosenness was for the purpose of leading to repentance. Your chosenness was not so you could be chosen, right? Your chosenness was so you could recognize just how in need of a savior you are. And so you could help others recognize just how in need of a savior they are. Like in Exodus 19, you are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Their intention from day one of their chosenness was to reveal the, the glory of God and the desire of God and the love of God for all of creation. Now that got, they got distracted from that. They, they went, different directions than they should have. Um, and so Paul is, is bringing them back to this and reminding them like, Hey, your chosenness 
was for the purpose of salvation, not for the purpose of you enjoying some kind of like special treatment. And in the same way, I guess I, I think about maybe even my position in, in the church. Like I've grown up in the church. I haven't known anything else. My entire life revolves around church uh, for, from day one. And I guess in a sense, not that I necessarily have ever had this mentality that I am a chosen person, but in a sense, I, I maybe I can see myself kind of in the place of the Jew that Paul is addressing here, where I've kind of taken for granted the, the pedigree that I have. And I've looked at it for my benefit rather than recognizing that maybe it's actually for the benefit of others. And man, shame on me. It's a, it's a complacency with a, I don't want to say disregard, but just a, a forgetting of the mission. Like that responsibility should never leave us. Uh, not that it should weigh us down like where we're useless, but like that responsibility should always be with us. Like I have this responsibility. I've been given this gift. And now my, my, like the result of that should be this response of taking that out and sharing that and not letting it just like, not letting it just come to this point and no further. And so Paul is trying to focus in on remembering that, that responsibility you pointed out. And I think you kind of touched on it with what you said. Uh, at least it rang a bell in my mind. Like I was just sharing about how me, like growing up in the church, this responsibility exists. But like Jesus in Matthew talks about how um, when, when people come to him and say, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. You need to come and talk to them. And his response is, but who are my mother and my brother but those who do the will of my father? And so Jesus redefines what it means to be in the family and redefines what it means to, for the sake of this passage, be part of the chosen people of God. And if we bring that redefinition into this conversation of Jew versus Gentile, right? Jew is the in, Gentile is the out. Like when we find ourselves in the family through our faith, through our recognition of him as savior, whether we've been in it since quote day one, or today is day one of us being in it, there is this expectation of continuing the mission. And so when we do become part of the in group, part of the chosen people, we always it, like our chosenness, our salvation is not for ourselves. right? It's for the sake of others. And I think that's exactly what Paul is saying right here. Like, your salvation is not your own. It is for the good of those around you. And you have lost sight of that and you've become so internally focused that now, now your salvation has actually led potentially to your damnation as you judge others from that position. In a way, it feels like not that much different than what we see today. Like, I mean, we see, we see so many... Christians who get caught up on their understanding of what theology looks like 
And so because we have different differing opinions, instead of focusing on the main thing, which is Jesus and helping point other people to Jesus, we focus on how I'm different than you, and we want to like divide that. We look for so many ways to separate ourselves from other believers, like we've forgotten what the mission is. The mission is not to be different than the group across the street from us. The mission is to find a way to come together, because it's for the greater good of, of all humanity, that we be reconcilers, not that we be dividers. And I mean, we see that played out here over ethnicities, but we see it played out across the streets from we we have a whatever fill in the blank denomination on one side of the street fill in the blank on the other side and and you have two different bodies of believers who can't seem to come together because we want to talk about how we're different not how we're how we're similar and who suffers because of that the world around us suffers because we want to focus on how we're different I mean, we all have an experience of how God radically changed us. Why are we not focusing on what God has done and what He desires to continue to do instead of small, small differences, really small? Like one verse says, I mean, we we interpret things differently. Like we're probably going to find out it's not even remotely what (laughs) what we thought. And we're going to be like, I can't believe so-and-so made it. And they'll say the same thing about us. But you know what? Like we are focused needs to be Jesus. I feel like that is implicitly, maybe even explicitly, what Paul is getting at here, both in chapter one and in chapter two, maybe more explicitly in chapter one, implicitly in chapter two, with this idea of the problem is not the immorality. The problem is the the lack of focus on God, which results in immorality. Our message usually is pointing out why we why why they need God? They need God because you're a sinner. You're you know you're not good enough. You're not going to make it. But verse four says that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. That we're 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 fishing with the wrong bait, per se. You know, I think about our community, and we've said for since we got here the challenge is to help them see that they need Jesus. But instead of trying to help them see their error or their sin, I think our thought should be show them the love and the kindness and the patience that Jesus intended to turn them away from their sin. And so we can be okay then with surrendering, I guess, this role that we so desire to have to play judge because we have to, you know, we have to be um, disseminators of justice, right? We have to see that the world knows what's right from what's wrong. Truth, right? Yes, we, we have to, we can, we can let go of that and we can sacrifice that because we, we serve a God that we can trust is just, And he is going to serve justice on our behalf. And so as we lean into him, as we make him Lord of our life, as we trust him, he's going to serve justice just as he sees fit. And that justice may not look like the justice we would have served. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a justice that's full of 
this kindness and patience and forbearance. It's going to be a beautiful and righteous justice. And and Paul ends this this portion with with expressing that that God's not showing favoritism, that his judgment is for all people, whether you're a part of the church, not part of the church, whether you're an outsider, um, it, it doesn't really ma- matter where you find yourself. We're all going to face judgment. And so like it 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 sets the stage for where Paul is going to go and in in this passage and um you know it's it's just uh, so incredible to know that it doesn't there's there's no no distinguishing and difference of of who you are um even though we know that God chose to work through the the Jewish people um and the people of Israel like we know that God chose to do that um it as we've as we've found through the life of Christ and and before and after it, but we see this um, this desire to bring everyone together, and so we see this played out that God is not showing favoritism in His judgment. We're all going to be judged according to what we have done or not done. And I feel like we even weaponize that. God's judge. He's gonna take care of. He'll them. take care of you. He'll take care of them. But even in that mentality, like we are placing ourselves in the position of judge. Like God is judge for me. That's all I need to worry about. Like I got this whole whole thought process of like, oh yeah, God's God's judge. Well, that's why I said it's not it's probably not gonna look like the way that we would disseminate justice. It's gonna look like Well, yeah, because see he's judging your heart, not like what people, I mean, we can't see everyone's heart. We only see external factors of someone's life, but we also don't see what happens after they make a mistake and they go away. We don't know what, like, we don't know what God is doing. Like if the Holy Spirit's moving on them, if they're being convicted, like we can't see those, those things. We can only see what bits God allows us to see. And then we make our judgments based on the bits that we see not what happens when we're not around. Well, that's why we're so bad at judging. Yeah. And even the little bits that we see, I mean, it might look like a, quote, mistake, but what if the heart wasn't one that was making a mistake? I mean, that's like a whole different animal, too. And we kind of talked about that at the youth table on Sunday. Like, there's been times in my life where I had, I truly believe I had, like, the right intentions. And then my execution of those intentions did not look right. Yeah. And they fell short and they were interpreted as wrong. Yeah. And it was like, man, but that's not what I was meaning. Right. I, that that's not where I was at period. Like I, I understand that fruit is, is part of our conversation. And, and I know Jesus talks about the importance of bearing fruit. Um, but I think we, we even got to be careful with that just because we don't, we don't know the intention. We don't know the heart. Well, when we think of fruit, we're thinking of something that's going to be so unbelievably recognizable. And you only see like the parts of people that they're generally speaking willing to share. So you don't see everything. I know one for me like that I have a problem with is I hear <clears throat> certain words or people say certain things and I I automatically go to that place of 
thinking like, I would never say that. And for me, that's true because I'm judging based on my own experience, like what God's done in me, not knowing what God's doing in someone else. And so like, I recognize like that is a place that I have to work because I hear certain things and I'm, I think like you have to know better, but I'm, I'm asking them to know better from my perspective, not to know better from their perspective. That kind of comes full circle right back to the very place that Paul's intending is, listen, you have this law, but that's not where I'm working in them right now, Mm -hmm. perhaps. So back off. (laughs) (laughs) So I need, I need Paul to come and say, Hey, back (laughs) off. Like you've got to give them time to get to where I'm trying to get them to. Don't Mm -hmm. expect them to be. Much like, like, you know, we can't expect everybody's walk. It's not, we're not all in the same place. Like God's doing different things in everyone's heart at different times. And I'm expecting people to meet my expectation when I haven't been given the place to have any expectation for anyone other than me. And I can't even get that right. I think in parenting we get a chance to kind of try to do this well. And we see, and I think it exposes oftentimes how much we miss the reality of what's going on inside people's hearts. Um, Recently, I was thinking about how our kids know that our expectations for them when we come to church on a Sunday, they know that the expectation is that they're going to participate in worship. They're going to participate in Uh, our small group discussions that that's what they're there for. And, you know, most of the time they do a really good job. And then there is every once in a while, like this particular time I'm thinking of where um, they chose not to participate. They chose to sit down during the worship. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? What are they doing? I'm, I'm getting mad. I'm judging them right in this moment. I'm making some judgments and I'm like, Oh, it is on when we get home. Like <laughs> we're going to have it talk about this. There are going to be some consequences. And then after service that day, these kids walk around and hand out these little cards, basically saying, I love you or thank you for coming to different people in the church. So they spent time not worshiping God in the way that I necessarily would have or what I was expecting, but they spent their time doing something, trying to love on God's creation. And I just realized, oh my goodness, I, I judged their heart wrong. I missed it. And I feel like that, that kind of thing, you know, as a parent, you're, you, you, you have to exercise some judgment because we're there to help discipline and disciple and help them grow, but constantly trying to see their heart before we respond with, with discipline or before we try to correct. And, and I know how bad I am at that with my children. And so to try to do that with somebody that I don't get the opportunity or the experience to really even sit down to know their heart is just, I mean, it's unthinkable when I compare it in this way. It's just, how could I even, how could I even begin to understand without spending hours and hours and hours just listening to them speak to me about a particular thing? And, you know, uh, we were discussing at our table on Sunday, um, someone brought up 
at the end of this passage at verse 16 about um, that will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as, as my gospel declares. And we were talking about the, like, the implications of secrets. And, you know, you, you're talking about not knowing someone's heart um, and not, like, not having a space to really talk about those things. And when we don't give people a space, like even in our own churches, to share the secrets of their hearts, we potentially, they, they potentially miss out on God, uh, on, on this ability to share these communally and then having God judge them where we can help someone walk through something, we're kind of um, removing that when we do the things that Paul talked about last week, um, being gossips and slanderers. And so when we don't allow space allow space for people to be able to share the secrets of their heart, the sin that they're dealing with, and not knowing that it's a safe place, because if they assume we're jumping to judgment, much like you shared with your kids, and in assuming that they were doing something that they weren't supposed to, when we don't allow space for that, people don't have the opportunity to share. And then they're, they're trying to carry that, their self with God, and who knows what their relationship with God's like. Do they even know how to walk through this with God? And by, by, not, by not going to that place of, of, of judgment, by allowing a space for people to be vulnerable, we could potentially be helping them. And I didn't really think about this until Sunday when this kind of came up, but, you know, we, we potentially are, in a sense, heaping judgment on them in another way by not providing a space for them to be able to share what's on their heart and know that it's safe, know that it's okay to share here. Because when people get hurt by those things that happen by gossip and, you know, those things being shared where they weren't intended to be shared, we are, we are causing people to build a wall that Paul is trying to, to tear down. So I think the really um, awesome part about the, our passage for today comes in the closing uh, couple of verses uh, where it says, They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. Like that, as I read that, it kind of sounds maybe innocuous to some, but I read that and I hear what Paul was saying back in chapter one where it says that God has been revealing himself to creation through creation since the beginning of time. And I see that again here where like God is revealing himself, not just in this general sense, but in a particular sense to each and every single person. And he is speaking to us and he is drawing us to him and, and our conscience, right? will will help guide us and, and shape us. And it's not just this thing that's going on in our head, but it's it's actually the God of all creation working to help lead us. And, and people who aren't even subject to this law, who, who don't even know, who, who aren't part of this group of chosen that Paul is addressing, like they are able to live a, a life 
of obedience in a sense because that law is written on their hearts and God is speaking to them through their hearts and they can choose to follow it. They can choose not to follow it, but they can choose to follow it. And that is, that's incredible. Like, how exciting is that? And, and this is the same for every single one of us. Like, it, it's also the same for the Jew. Right. Like, God is speaking to them. God is leading them. It's it's the same for us today. We don't really have titles like Jew and Gentile. We do have titles like Christian and non-Christian. Like, God is speaking to us, and we have the opportunity to walk in obedience and, and to place him in that proper place in our lives and make him Lord of our life. And it doesn't require, like, having to show up on a Sunday morning to hear the right sermon preached for me to know what it means to walk in obedience with Jesus because he's speaking, whether I know it or not. Right. And yeah, maybe it would be helpful if along the way somebody would come along and be like, hey, that's Jesus yeah. that gave you that idea. Hey, that that's this guy named Jesus who came and he, you know, lived this life that he lived and then sacrificed himself. And then he came back from the dead and he's resurrected and he's, he's overcome the power of death in our lives. And like people would benefit obviously from somebody coming along to be able to name what's going on in their life. But God is at work and that is exciting and something to celebrate. And, and I think that is like the peace that turns this the corner on this conversation on on judgment because when i begin to judge somebody to to you know pass judgment on somebody it's like i am i am sentencing them to the reality that god cannot work in their life or won't work in their life and that I am needed to somehow point out the error of their ways so God can work in their life. Right. He's not doing a good enough job. Right. And so now I've done that very thing that Paul talks about where it says, therefore, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else for whatever you point out, uh, point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Like this yeah. is that same thing. When I'm passing a judgment, I'm putting myself in the in his place. And I'm not doing any good for any for the person I'm judging, and I'm not doing any good for myself. Because I'm ignoring what he's saying, and I'm probably drowning out the sound of his voice in the life of the right. other. If we're really focused on just being obedient, I think God can handle it. And we probably will have a much greater impact on the world around us. Because people see obedience. They will see this, this fidelity that we have to God. They will see this love that we have for God. And that's contagious. And I think going back to something you said earlier, Brittany, like that obedience will look, the, the reason why people will notice it, the reason why this will stand out so much more so than like the judgment is because that obedience will well, it'll reflect the one that we're being obedient to. And when we reflect the one that we're being obedient to, according to Paul, that's going to look like things like kindness, forbearance, and patience, like love. And that's, 
something the world needs. That's something we all need. Something my house needs. It's something our neighbors need. It's something that this neighborhood needs. It's something that this state needs, this country needs, and the world needs. And if we can begin to be people of obedience that live out lives of kindness and forbearance and patience, I think we're going to see the world change for his glory, for his goodness. As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Romans, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.